you would uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus as we continue our study there. And uh, after thinking about it for a bit, and I'm uh, going to dig up some tough ground for some of you this morning. Um, Pastor Jeff said this morning, I'm praying for you. And uh, I said, well, I was going to say the same thing to you. I, I was going to be praying for you as well because uh, fortunately, uh, the Leafs uh, last night didn't pull it off. And uh, I got to catch the tail end of that game. Um, and so maybe, maybe he was counting if it went to a game seven, which it did, that uh, this would be the night or last night would be the night and maybe he was thinking they might lose and he just wouldn't have the wherewithal to come and speak after such a hard loss. Uh, so, but no, I'm just kidding. But he's, he's there with uh, Melanie at the marriage seminar and uh, maybe we should pray for Melanie, I don't know. But, <laughs> but anyways, turn your Bibles to the book of Leviticus and we're in chapter uh, 14. And we're just going to read the tail end of this section, and then I'm going to go through from verse 33 and expound on that. And um, we kind of been covering a whole section here on leprous diseases in the body. Um, and it says here, uh, verse 54 of Leviticus 14, this is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease in a garment or in a house, and for a swelling or an eruption or a spot to show when it is unclean and when it is clean, this is the law for leprous disease. In verse 33, it starts out, and this is, this is, um, there, this is something that's coming, and God is warning and telling Moses and Aaron, he says in verse 33, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession. And so here we see they're not yet in the land of Canaan, the Israelites, but God is uh, telling them what's going to happen. And they weren't in houses yet. They were in tents, and he's covered those things. And he says, when you get to the promised land, you're going to live in houses, and um, sometimes there's going to be uh, a leprous disease that may come into the house, and the walls, and the, and the stones, and the brick, and the, and the wood, and, and the materials of the house, and this is how you're to treat it. And right here, we see, right off the bat, we see God's sovereignty and God's provision for his people. God's provision in that he said, you're going to be in the land of Canaan that I promised you. That's going to happen. And he's moving even further than that. He says, if this happens, this leprous disease, and it's interesting, it says, this land I give you, and, and if I put a case of leprous disease in a house, that's an interesting verse, and we can kind of stop there and think about what, what, is, what is going on here. God's putting it a leprous disease in the house when, when we finally arrive there. And um, God, in his sovereignty, and I'm not going to spend too much time here, but God in his sovereignty, he can allow things to happen 
Or, you know what? He's God. He can put things, if he so chooses, in our lives to draw us to him. And you think of Job, where Satan came to God and, and asked permission uh, to basically ruin his life. And what does Job end up saying? He says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He wasn't saying Satan took it away, but he was attributing God's sovereignty over his life and over the situation. So God takes it away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And right here we see whether God put it directly or in his sovereignty, he allowed it. It doesn't change the pattern that he's going to give them to deal with it. And so God in his sovereignty here, and we're going to see God's provision for his people when this leprous disease comes upon them in the walls and the materials of their house. And we've been talking about how, how, how it's not a sin to have leprosy or not a sin to have uh, a leprous disease but how it's been point, it points to the reality, the greater reality of sin in the broken world that we are in and the sin-cursed world and, and the stain of sin upon our life and, and, our, and our broken hearts and our sinful hearts. And that's what this points again to, you know, God's trying to really point us to something here that, that this reality of le a leprous disease in this in a house points us to the brokenness the world that we live in the sin cursed world and and how things are no longer good as in the garden of eden in the beginning but things are breaking down and wearing out and dying and it runs deep and we read here in verse uh, 33 how god is going to provide not only a house but what to do when uh, the disease comes into the house. And it would be really hard, I was uh, studying this passage, to really, to just go through this passage and not to see the great parallel here when it comes to Jesus and in his earthly ministry. And I want you to go to John chapter 2 for a moment. John chapter 2. And what we're going to see in uh, Leviticus is a pattern. It's a pattern, uh, and I've and it's a pattern, and it's a it's an initiation, it's an examination, and a cleansing. That's God's pattern for how to deal with the leprous disease in the house. And we'll we'll get back to that in a minute to see that more in depth. But in John chapter two. We're going to see the exact same pattern Jesus uses himself. And so in John chapter 2, verse 13, it says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables. 
And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And if you go back to Leviticus, And in verse 34, we're going to compare the same pattern here. Sorry, verse 35. Then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, there seems to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in to see the house, and he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house, and if the, uh, with greenish or reddish spots, and it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again, and on the seventh day, and look, and if the disease has spread into the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which the disease uh, is the disease, and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped all around, and the plaster that they scrape off they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. So you see in verse 35 that the owner of the house was the one who was supposed to go to the priest and say, I got a disease, there's something in the walls of my house, it's a mold or a mildew or something like that, and we've all maybe been there, had to deal with those kinds of things, perhaps in your house or your basement, and, uh, but the initiation is on the owner, and here in John chapter 2, we see Jesus going up to his house, Jesus taking the initiative the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and he goes to the temple, his house. And he examines, and he sees what's going on in the temple. And he can't believe what he's seeing. And G only Jesus, the initiator and the examiner, and he goes and he cleans the house. And I've titled this message, Cleaning House. He overturns the money changers. He overturns the tables. He drives them out and says, get out. And it's interesting, this is the, Jesus, there was two cleansings of the temple. This was early in Jesus' ministry. And he comes and he, he cleanses the temple. And then, he, and then at the end of his ministry, after the triumphal entry, he comes in again. You can read, we're going to look at it in Matthew 21. And that's the second cleansing. So he initiates, he examines, he cleans. And then he comes back later. And what does he see? The same thing is going on. The sin is rampant. And what was going on, and uh, there I got a picture of the temple there I want to throw up on the screen there. Um, if that's on there, no. And what's going on here is there's the court uh, and the temple. You have the various, is that not coming up there, Titus? Okay. 
Uh, well, anyways, you've probably seen a picture of it before, but there's the court of the Gentiles where the, the Gentiles could come and worship God. So, uh, people that weren't Jews and men and women who were not Jewish. And God wanted his temple to be for all people to come and worship him. And so on the out, on the, before you get into the inner courts where the, the women went and then even, even further the men would go and then the priests and then you have the Holy of Holies, there was a, it was football fields in size. And these were, these were meant for the people outside the Jewish race to come and they could pray to God and they could offer up their prayers and sacrifices to God and he would accept them. But what was going on was because people had to come from so far away and during the Passover was typically the time when the, the Jews, they would come and pay their temple tax that once a year, but they would be coming and they were to bring, you know, the clean animals to sacrifice. Well, they, you couldn't come 200 miles and keep an animal clean for the temple sacrifice. So they had uh, people set up at the temple selling oxen and, and sheep and pigeons and doves so people could just go and buy and then go in with a clean animal and sacrifice. And this was typically done outside the temple, but the Jews had brought it inside the temple walls. And there's some that think they were uh, there, there was also uh, people were coming from other countries with pagan currencies, and these were not allowed to be put in the temple offering, and they had to, uh, the money changers, they had to exchange uh, the currency to the temple currency so they could bring it into the, into the temple, and, um, they could, and then they could buy and, and pay for the, the animals and, or drop it into the offering or for the tax. And some think they were Possibly there was some shady business going on. They were charging, you know, uh, big exchange rates because people had no choice. They weren't going to go all the way back home. And here they're coming and they're, they're, they brought it right into the court of the Gentiles and they set up shop. And Jesus goes in and sees this, what's going on. And in Matthew 21 the same thing happened again. And Jesus, he's quotes here from Isaiah 56. I'm not sure if my, that's not, is that not going to work? The PowerPoint? It's not working? Okay. That's okay. Um, Isaiah 56 says, even though, Jesus quotes, he sees what's going on and he, he says, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. He says, my house is to be a house of prayer. And for all nations to come. And in the very place that he had for outsiders to come in to his house was the very place they set up shop to get and to steal and to rob. He said, my house will not be a den of robbers or thieves. 
And in Matthew 21, I'm just going to turn there quick. You can turn there as well, if you would like. In verse 12, we see this, the second cleansing. And Jesus entered the temple, drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables and the money changers, the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And later on, we see um, that Jesus, he initiated, he examined, he cleansed. And then later on, we see the destruction of the temple. If you go back to Leviticus, in Matthew 24 and verse 1 and 2, Jesus left the temple. He was going away, and the disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. And they, they were out, he's, they're like, look at the the majesty, the greatness of the temple, how beautiful it is. And Jesus answered them. He, he said, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. You see the parallel here? Because in Leviticus, we're going to see eventually the house with the leprous disease, if it did not get cleansed, was going to be destroyed. And here Jesus comes to the temple and and a, almost a fulfillment of Leviticus, what was happening in there. And he sees what's going on. He says, my house is no longer what it should be. And it's rampant with sin. And it's good for nothing. And it's going to be destroyed. And he predicted what would happen in AD 70. Not one stone would be left that would not be thrown down. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians, he comes to the church and he says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? And so Jesus, he got, way, got rid of the, the temple, but he did not get rid of the pattern. And he started, Jesus came to fulfill and build a new temple. And that temple was our bodies, and the owner of our temple is the Holy Spirit who resides in you. And we are meant for prayer, for communion, and drawing outsiders to him. A temple not made with stones and brick, but by God. And Paul there, he's talking about the you there is plural. He's talking about all of us. And in some places, he talks about individually we are the temples of God. But in this section, he's talking to the church. He's saying, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the, the parallel abounds there. In Leviticus, we come back to verse 35. And we see the pattern that Jesus used in the temple is the same pattern for us as his church. 
It's the same pattern for the nation of Israel for this leprous disease and this picture of sin and the sin in our lives. And in verse 35, we see that the Holy Spirit initiates. And in our lives, the Holy Spirit is the initiator. John 16, 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, Jesus said, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. I'm so thankful for people in my life, family in my life, my parents, grandparents, who did not stop the initiation of the Holy Spirit in their life. And maybe you can think of times in your life where you know the Holy Spirit was initiating for you to do something or to tell someone or to look within. And he, he illuminated a leprous disease in your life or a sin in your life. And I can think of many times where he's done that and I've, ignored it, sadly. But I'm so thankful for parents who pray for me, grandparents who have prayed for me, family who's prayed for me, the, the Holy Spirit initiating that prayer to pray for someone, to love them. And I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for the faithful prayers of many that were led by the Spirit of truth in their life. And so what in your house, what in our house is God pointing out to you, is the Holy Spirit pointing out to you this morning? And you need to take, and he takes the initiation. And then your responsibility to kneel before God, to repent of sin. The initiation, the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Where would we be without that? And in verse 36 to 39, we see the examination. And the priest shall come, or they, then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease. Empty the house. Before we examine, we were just, uh, I just went to pick up something in, in Cove Head, the, uh, something for um, our after school center, and we were, we were going there, and somebody was selling an air hockey table, and uh, me and Whitney, we went to pick that up on the trailer, and uh, he's like, thanks for taking this, my kids don't really use it anymore, it was in their basement, and, and, he's, and he said, uh, I said, oh, what, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm, I'm I got I had to bring everything out from upstairs and bring it downstairs, and this is in the way. It's not going to use a big table. And he said, I got, I'm, I'm redoing the floors. And I said, I'm going to put all new floors in. He said, but I need to take everything out to make room, everything off the floor, and, the, and, and I need the space down here to do it. And uh, he, had to, he was removing everything so he could see the old floor so that he could put in the new floor. And this is, what, this is what the priest says, take everything out 
of the house so that it's not declared unclean. And he's taking those things in his basement so maybe they don't get damaged as he's examining the floors and seeing what needs to be done. And afterward, the priest shall go in to see the house. And he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house with greenish or reddish spots, it appears to be deeper than the surface. Then he shall go out and shut up the house for seven days. So the initiation and now the examination. And sometimes when you, when you might have some, some mold or mildew and you, you pull away the couch or you pull away whatever's in, in front of it, and you see that it goes deeper. It's more rampant than you ever thought. And the examiner in our lives, and the, temp, and the, and the temple of our bodies, and uh, our church is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of, word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And the word of God in your life will reveal and will help you understand and help you see the sin that may be rampant in your life. And if we ignore the initiation of the Spirit, he wants us to go to the Word of God, to bring the priest like they did, but to bring the Word of God. And if you're not reading the Word of God, if you're not in the Word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to examine and the Word of God to examine you, you're going to miss the sin. You're not going to see how bad it really is. And the, the Word of God, I, like, I love the description. It's living and active. And oftentimes, you know, you have some mold or mildew in your house. And what do you go? You go get uh, a chemical to maybe spray on it to kill the molds, to stop it from spreading. And if you read the labels on those, it, say, it says active ingredients. An active ingredient, you spray on the mold and the mildew. And the word of God is that active and living ingredient. Th this, it's almost as if it's alive. The word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. The priest would go and he would, he would they would scrape the plaster and get to the sin and scrape it away to save the rocks. And the word of God, like that sharp two-edged sword, will divide to the, into the innermost part of you and expose what's going on, the sin that may be in your life. There is no creature hidden from God's sight. You can cover it up. You can push the couch back. You can shut the curtains or whatever it is. But it's still there, and it's growing, and it'll continue to grow and spread. But it's, it, one day, 
It's going to be open and laid bare to the eyes of God. You can't hide it. It's because you don't want to see it or don't want to talk about it or deal with it. It's still there. And the Word of God is the great examiner. And then the third, the cleansing, we see in verse 39. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. If the disease has spread into the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which the disease is and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped. Um, and he shall have the inside of the house scraped, plaster and scrape off and pour the unclean. Then they shall take other stones, put them in the place of the stones and take other plaster and plaster the house. So we see right here where they're taking out the old and putting in the new. The cleansing. And what we see here is the man of God transformed. That transformation. This is the pattern for your life, Christian, and mine. This is the pattern as a church. To the Holy Spirit initiates, the Word of God examines. And the transformation happens. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Our bodies are the sacrifice. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, good and acceptable and perfect. And so we see here, we are not to be conformed to the image of the world. Now, the idea there is like a blacksmith. And you've, if you've seen, you can go to some historical places on PEI and see that happening. And he has a hammer and he's pounding, pounding the iron or the steel or whatever it is, the metal, and forming it into what he wants it. And Christian, that is not to be allowed. The world wants to do this, conform, and we live in a world, we live in a broken world, we live in a sin-cursed world, and it's just doing this every day, the same thing, and it's, 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 it's conforming, and it's trying to conform us into the Im its image and sin. But God's word says, to, instead of be conformed, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That renewal, we get that word renovation. That word renewal. We are to be taking, the, the, the Holy Spirit initiates. He shows you your sin. The word of God exposes it. And you take it out. And you bring in the new. And tomorrow, you read the word of God. And the Holy Spirit initiates and exposes it. You take it out. And you bring in the new. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and every day. That is the pattern. That was the pattern for their house. That is the pattern for your house, for your life. I think of in John, the, I think it's the book of John, where they were, he was admonishing, they were looking for something else, something more amazing in their, in their Christian life, something. 
they wanted a sign. They wanted, uh, they wanted uh, something else to hold on to. It's like, is this it? Is this the Christian life? And, and uh, John says, I can't quote it for, for memory, but he s- says something to the fact of, he said, what, what you can see and take hold of and what we know and what we see in Jesus Christ. And it's not something, the Christian life isn't something out there. Some, some new thing that you need to add to your life. It's something you can hold And you can grasp onto. It's the daily time in the word of God. It's the the daily praying for each other. And praying for those in your house. Stop looking for something extra special that's going to just transform. This is the pattern. This is the remedy. It's so hard to do. I don't have time for it. This is where the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you in your life. So the cleansing, the man of God transformed. And we live in a world, church, where the, the sin, the mold, the mildew has been so rampant. And those of you who have been living longer than me have seen it just go farther and farther away. And and even in my short lifetime, things are changing fast. It's spreading fast. The world is, is lost. And the stain of sin is great. And it goes deep into the, the walls of the house. There's so much talk today about human rights and so little talk about the right to be human. Just in the last few days, even yesterday in Buffalo, New York, I don't know if you saw this, there was a grocery store shooting, 10 people killed. Seems like almost every other day or week there's a a mass shooting of sorts. And you turn on the TV and you hear, evil, evil. So evil. But what is evil? What is good? You can never define evil and you can never define good unless you include the very purpose of what your life is all about. That you are creation of a holy God. A God for whom life is of value and sanctity. And we live in a world that has changed the definitions of so many words and lost the sacredness of life. They say we live in the no truth generation. That's the, that's the phrase they've coined this generation. What's truth? And brothers and sisters, we have the truth. If we're going to draw outsiders to Christ, it's not going to happen by looking more like the world. They need to see transformation. 
Transformation in your relationships, transformation in your families, transformation in your church, transformation at your job. And in our churches, the world needs a church that is transformed by the word of God, amen? That church that is praying, that's drawing outsiders to him, that's not here to get, but to point others to Christ. I remember as a young boy in my church, And it was in probably the early 90s, and uh, my church was holding spiritual warfare conferences. And this idea of really attacking, seeing, exposing sin, and the spiritual warfare that goes on. There's a spiritual war today. And to see as a, a, a young boy, maybe 10, 11, 12, 13, to see God do a great work in people's lives and hearts and people. I was talking to my dad last night about it. As I was reading this, it came up. Uh, I was thinking about this and he said, he said, uh, my dad was the, the pastor. He said, we, we, we held some spiritual warfare conferences and it was probably, it was, a, it was a great awakening in our church at that time. And it was probably two or three years where he had to counsel people who were coming and where the Holy Spirit through the word of God, exposed sin in their life, and they had to get rid of it. They had to confess it. They had to repent of it. And people were coming, and he was doing a lot of counseling. And then, and then uh, we would hold what we call, it's kind of old-fashioned term, cottage prayer meetings. I remember as a young boy, we would, uh, sometimes it was for a week, we would meet in somebody else's house and pray and just have a prayer meeting, a prayer time, for our church, for those, our families, for those who are lost in the community. And I remember different occasions, and he said we would do those for a week, and then other times we would do those for two or three. He said, in our church, I don't know, two, 200 or so, there would be 35 people, 40 people come every night. And he said, and, he said, and I remember as a young boy, our, the growth in our church, and people were coming to Christ and lives were being changed because the church was in examining the word of God was that spraying that active ingredient on them they were repenting of sin and praying and drawing outsiders to him and the church was growing and it was an amazing thing to see a fond memory to see And is that happening here at Grace? Are we praying? Are we being a house of prayer? Are we, are we just content to be here? What about in your own, it starts in your own life. Are you, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to initiate and expose by the word of God? Are you in the word of God? Are you, allowing, are you repenting and being cleansed? Not to be saved, but for fellowship. And you see in Leviticus, they could not have fellowship with the rest of Israel. This wasn't, this wasn't, they weren't God's people if they didn't do this. This was, they had to be uh, out of fellowship until they took care of the sin or the, 
the leprosy, and they could come back into fellowship with God. And sin, Christian, will, will not take away your salvation, but it will keep you from fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. And if we're not willing to take out and put in, why would the world ever be drawn here into your life? And we see in verse 43, as we finish, 43 to 47, the destruction of the house. If the disease breaks out again, and after it has taken out the stones and, and scraped the house and plastered it, the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house. It is unclean, and we shall break down the house, its stones, the timber, and all the plaster of the house, carry it out to the city to an unclean place. And it shall be destroyed and destruction. And that outside place... Uh, Jesus makes reference to it. It may not have been as they first came in. It was, it was really the dump. They took the old and they, they tossed it into the dump. And we see the destruction of the house. And Jesus in Matthew 10, 28, he references this, this, this uh, place outside the city in Jerusalem where they threw uh, all the trash and the garbage and it was continually on fire. And he says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And we don't have time to go to Jeremiah 7, but you can, I encourage you to read that passage. It's, it's, it's a pretty bleak look of, of uh, the evil priesthood that Jesus predicted, or uh, sorry, that Jeremiah predicted would come. And, and that hell, the Gehenna, is what it, what it is called, the Gehenna, and it was a place of eternal fire outside the city where the trash and they threw even murderers and, and criminals after they had died and thrown them in there, and it was eternal. It was an eternal fire, eternal stench all the time as people threw their waste and their garbage and perhaps for sure broken down houses that were no good anymore, stones that were no good anymore. And in Jeremiah 7, it's the Valley of Hinnom. And it's where the Israelites, when they came into Canaan, and they, they got mixed up with other gods and, and, and Canaanite gods, and, and they were doing even children's sacrifice, sacrificing their children. It was in this Valley of Hinnom, or Topeth, that Jeremiah says that they were doing these evil practices. And after the... After the uh, they were exiled and came back. They repurposed this valley. And what this is the valley Jesus is re was referencing when he talked about eternal hell for destruction. And thank God, Christian, that that is not our end. Jesus took the payment for your and my sin on the cross. And we are the house of God, and, and we are no longer condemned to destruction. In verse 48 to 53, we see the redemption. And, and Jeff, it's the same pattern with the, the birds and dipping in the blood and the one going free. We see the, the redemption 
that's possible. Not only for your fellowship and the fellowship here, but if you're here today and you do not know Christ, perhaps God today or through a, a, a brother or, a, or another person, a Christian in your life, the Holy Spirit has shown to you your sin and you've seen that you're in need of cleansing. The redemption can be found for you in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And it was, it was the blood of Christ shed for you and for me, whereby you can be forgiven and set free and redeemed. We live in today, not only the no truth generation, but it's, it's turned itself into the cancel culture. And you're all aware, I'm sure, it just seems day after day, there's a canceling of somebody new. Somebody's sin is exposed or faults exposed. And everybody rushes to judge and cancel. Cancel them. Cancel their careers. Ruin their life. There's no forgiveness. There's no grace. It's you need to pay right now. Before there's even a proper examination, they're canceled and it's too late. It's no coincidence that a generation who does not know what truth is all of a sudden starts to play, they, denies the, the God of truth and starts to play God themselves and cancel everybody according to their own truth. And if you go to, uh, I was reading this, if you go to the, the uh, state of Ohio, there's the first postmodern building that was been erected. Postmodernism, there's no, you can't know truth. There's no absolute objective truth. So they created a building to represent it. And so if you go there, it's called the Wexner Center of the Arts. If you go there, there's stairways leading to nowhere. There's doors that open to nothing. And it's just all this jumbled around and it's, it's an art building. There's all different things and different ideas and it's just you can't make sense of it. And the, the guy I was listening to, he, he was there visiting and he said, he said to the guy who showed him, he's like, I just have one question, he said. Did they do that with the foundation? <laughs> of course they didn't. The this whole building of there's no truth, there's nothing that's right, we can't know. But the very foundation of the building had a pattern and a blueprint to even build it on. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, if you're wondering, what is this all about? I can't seem to make sense of what's true. What is right? What is wrong? It changes. Jesus Christ is the foundation for you. He is the chief, he is the cornerstone that the house, your house should be built on. And he didn't, he's not going to cancel you. He can't, what he did was cancel your sin. And he sent Jesus to die. He was buried. He rose again, victory over your sin. And he's canceled your debt so you could 
live and grow into a house, a temple of God, and have purpose and meaning and know what truth is. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God for his word. If we think this is for the world, if you're here today, Christian, you're like, the world needs to hear this, and you're not hearing it yourself. What are we doing? This isn't just to save us and then we're good. We need this day in, day out. We would jump at the chance to point somebody and tell them they need, or they need, or look at their sin, look, they need this. But what about you? What about your house? What about our house, Grace Baptist Church? Are we a house of prayer and drawing outsiders to him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. And there's so much to unpack here. And the parallel that we see, we just pray, Lord, for our church, that we will be a church of prayer, a church that is allowing the Spirit of God to initiate, the Word of God to examine, and the transformation, the renewal in our lives, that we may be a living sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable unto you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.